turn to Romans 8. We're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit taken out of John 14. After I depart, I will send you another helper. And the word another in the Greek is another of the same kind. The word helper comes from the word called alongside to give aid. So we're looking at what kind of help does the Spirit give? And we looked uh, at several things. We looked, the Spirit is the one that pulls off the new birth in us. He regenerates us, Titus 3. Two, he immersed us, used the word baptized in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but he immersed us into the body of Christ. So our identity is with Christ. Thirdly, he indwells every believer. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not of his. He said, the Spirit will be in you like a mighty river. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given, for he had not been glorified. John 7, 37 through 39. The Spirit seals us into the body of Christ. The Spirit groans and intercedes for us when our prayer ignorance keeps us from not being able to articulate what we need. And now we've started, as of last week, looking at the work of the Spirit in filling. And we looked at several things. To be, sp to be filled with the Spirit is a command in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit, a command, which suggests something. All believers must not be filled with the Spirit for him to command it. See, he never commands you to be indwelt. He never commands you to be sealed. He never commands you to be baptized in the body of Christ. He never commands you, uh, as it were, regenerate yourself. But those are done once for all. Something else about the characteristics of this filling is it's not universal. Not all believers at any, any one given moment are under the control of the Spirit. Maybe like your home this week. Uh, it's not universal. It's commanded. And then uh, I think that uh, something that's interesting, the, our translation says be filled. Bad translation Literally, it says, be getting yourselves under the control of the Spirit continuously. It's a present tense. It's not a, I was filled with the Spirit in 1950, and I haven't been filled since. Now, this is, you are to be living your life moment by moment in Ephesians 5.18. And it was repeated when you read the book of Acts. They were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2.4. In Acts 4, Peter was filled with the Spirit. Stephen was filled with the Spirit. The deacons were full of the Spirit. And you see it right through Acts. It's a repeated thing. Power for service. And we're looking today at power for character. And you have to be getting yourselves under the Spirit's control. Now, let, there's a lot of what's tough on Spirit filling is we're never told exactly how to do it. I grew up, you tarry. Uh, until you talk in tongues, uh, you wait, you get right. All kinds of formulas out there. 
Uh, when he said it in Ephesians, he never told them how. He said, just do it. What does this word, let me give you a working definition of filling, what it means. It's certainly not being filled with wine. He's saying, in contrast, what does the wine do when it makes you drunk? You've gotten enough of it that it's controlling your behavior. It's influencing what you do, right? Talk to me. Uh, that Jack Daniels was never invented to quench thirst, nor Scots. And this wine that they drank, the peasant wine, was less than 2% alcohol. And it was great to kill amoebas. They had no water district. Their water was untreated. So, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach ailments. Kill the amoebas. So, it's a life-saving drink in the Near East without sanitation, without water plants. Wonderful thing. Uh, but what is he saying? The spirit is a person, not a liquid, not a substance. Get yourselves under his control. Let me suggest to you another use of the word. The word was translated to supply. Paul said in Philippians 4.18, I was in need while in jail, and you supplied what was lacking. You filled up. Now, using that concept, the spirit-filled Christian is an individual who is allowing the Holy Spirit to meet his personal inadequacies on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. In Acts, we see power for service. They did this, that, phenomenal things. And that can happen. But over in Ephesians, he deals with our character walk as he does in Galatians. And that's where we're going. Let's read two passages. Let's look at Romans 8, 1 through 13. And I'm going to just try to interpretively read. But we're going to go to Galatians. That's what we're going to deal with. What the Spirit, consequences or results of Spirit filling. First thing I want to deal with today, only through the Holy Spirit can you control sin within. Every believer is dangerous unless they find out how to control the sin within. Right? And if you don't know that, get married. It's dangerous to live with another sinner if you don't think they're ever going to live under the control of the Spirit. That's why there's so much divorce and broken homes. People are dangerous to live with day in and day out. Now, listen to Romans 8. Are you there? There is therefore now no condemnation and that means penalty uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number one, you've got to know that. If I'm in Christ, all divine penalty against me has already been executed. Do you get that? This crowd, what's wrong with this crowd? Too much coffee? You ought to shout over that. There are no divine penalty. That's why I'm not afraid of anything in my future before God. Don't hang me over hell. I've already gone to hell at the cross. I've, in my substitute, God executed his full measure of wrath so that everything I will ever do wrong was executed on the Son within six hours. And most of you don't know that. 
That's why you don't know what justification means. I am declared right before God because my penalty was borne by my substitute and his righteousness has been put to my account. And if you knew what I just said, you say, hallelujah. This is the most powerful. This is our gospel. What I just said is the gospel. He'll take a sinner's debt and everything God has against you, and in a moment, he will say, you're right in my sight. How can that be? My son is born, the wrath I have poured out on your sin, and there's no future penalty. I have nothing I need to collect anymore. It was collected at the cross. Of course, I want to preach justification by faith right now, but I'll keep going. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This law is the sin principle within that he'll call the flesh in Galatians. For what the law, the law of Moses, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Notice so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Two ways the law has been fulfilled for us. One, I get credit for Christ having kept the law. When he gave me credit for his righteousness, he said, he made him to be sin for us that we might be made his righteousness. His righteousness was twofold. He was completely obedient under the law, and then he died for the wrath of the law, the penalty. So active, passive obedience, theologians talk about it. I get full credit for having kept the law. That's a gift standing. And on the other hand, my substitute paid for everything I broke in the law. So either way, I've kept the law. I've died under its penalty, and I've also obeyed all of its commands, but I did it my substitute. Wake up over there. So I'm not under the law. The law neither saves, sanctifies, or justifies. It only says you're a sinner, and you don't know how to keep it. We are not under law. We are under grace. And grace is not licensed to sin. It leads you away from it because of the work of Christ. Who knows if I'll ever reach Galatians. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He's talking about two people now. One in the flesh, one in the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. The flesh is a rascal. It will not obey. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's what we were as unsaved people. Our sphere of existence, where we were in the flesh. We still have the flesh in us. But before God, we're not seen to be in the flesh. We're spirit people, not flesh people. Just two circles. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. Now, people in the spirit have to still deal with the flesh because the flesh is still in you. But your sphere of standing, I'm a spirit person. 
If you're a Christian, you're in the Spirit. That's your sphere of sin. In Christ, but I'm also in the Spirit. Now, watch. However, you are not in the flesh. Well, look at there. It agrees with me. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit from Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you are about to die. And this is probably eternal death, separated from God. As long as we're living in this sphere, if we die without Christ, hell is the judgment. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Isn't that something? Spirit people put to death the deeds of the body. They count on the fact they're with Christ. They reckon they're no longer available to the sin. They tell sin, my body's not available. I've made myself available to God. You remember what I said the four conditions of being spirit-filled were? What were they? There were four of them. Number one. What? Presentation. I cleaned it up or was it preparation? Presentation. I am presenting my body for God's disposal. Romans 6, 11, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And present their means to put at another's disposal. Holy Spirit, I start my day this way. I'm at your disposal. My eyes aren't for pornography. They're for Bible reading. My eyes are for my wife, not for my secretary. My members are at your disposal. It's not enough to say no to sin. You got to positively be available for good. What's the second one? Purification. Do you ever deal with the sin God shows you? Or do you just keep putting it under the carpet? And we walk in your life, and there's like a mountain in your life because you keep pushing sin underneath the carpet. You've got to confess it and repent of it. You've got to take sin seriously if you want to walk in the Spirit. Because otherwise you grieve Him. And he can't, he can't work through you until He works on you. And he'll work on you to get right about sin. Third thing, reliance. We walk by faith. And Galatians 5, 6 says, there's no circumcision required. The only thing required is faith working through love. Just God's people rely on God to live the Christian life. Not the law, not their own strength, but on God. Fourth thing, Christ-centeredness. I want Christ to be magnified in my body, Philippians 1, 20 through 23. I am living for Christ. My character is being transformed into Christ-likeness. That is where we're headed in progressive sanctification. He's making me more and more. What are you doing with me, God? I'm trying to get you to look like Christ. And when I picked you up, you look like mud and sin. And I'm cleansing you changing you, training you, that you will make Jesus visible in a lost world. Can people see Christ in you? Until they can, God's got a lot of work to still do in you.
That's the goal. Now, let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. He's telling these Christians, you can't go under the law and live the Christian life. You have too many deficiencies and inadequacies. What, what's your cure, Lord? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will absolutely not. It's a double negative. You will absolutely not carry out the strong desires that come from the flesh, the sin principle within. You see, when you get saved, sin remains in you. But Romans 6 says, it does not reign over you. I still have a sin principle, but he said, sin shall not, and basileia, it shall not dominate you like a king. I am not under the dominion of sin. I am under the authority of Christ. I have to deal with sin, but I'm not a slave to it. Because I've met a redeemer that doesn't leave me where he found me. And he says, I'll send you the helper that will deal with this inward, downward bent towards wrong, sin. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It's like you've got these two uh, options, the flesh, the spirit. And we get into this battle, which am I going to yield to? And so no matter... You're under the authority of one or the other, sin or the spirit. There's, there's no neutral ground. Then, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the Mosaic law. We refuse rules for the Christian life because it only makes you rebel more. Rules make people rebel. The spirit-filled life is not a rule-based life. It's faith working with love and walking in dependence on the Spirit. And he said, if you love, you fulfilled all the law. I don't consult the law to live the Christian life. I'm not under Moses. I'm under Christ. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and we're going to look at them. There's, there's three words you need to note about the flesh. Verse 19, the deeds of the flesh, you got it? Go down to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, notice there, if you serve, there's three different words that describe the flesh here. Deeds, passions, and desires. Colossians 3, 5 puts them all in one verse. Uh, sin... When, it's going to, when you're being tempted to sin and to get this sin principle out in action in you, see, you've all got it. You all look spiritual now because hopefully you're not sinning right now. But you could be. Your thought life could be doing bad things. But when sin wants to get you, according to James, it goes fishing. And it knows there's a sin principle within you. And according to James, temptation throws the bait out there. It's got a hook on it, but, you know, it's fishing to draw you out to get you to take the bait. And he says, once you take the bait, it's like a conception. All of a sudden, that fish comes. All he sees is sardine or whatever the bait is. Good, good, good. Doesn't know there's a hook there, 
doesn't know his life's at stake. All he sees is something to eat that builds, that fits his nature. And boom, Woo! did I get a prize? You just got death. Sin baits you. It wants to draw you out. Come on. He told Cain, Cain, be careful. Sin is like a crouching, hidden lion ready to pounce on you any moment. And so, he just throws that bait out, and you, and you ignore it, you ignore it. Pastor, ooh, that does look kind of, mmm, mmm, she is good looking. The bait isn't sardines. It's a lot of stuff. I hate to call that chick you like a sardine, but she might be bait to destroy you because you're not strong enough to have the relationship. We don't tell young people not to date because other people aren't attractive. It's just, are you strong enough to have a date and not sin? That's the issue. Most adults can't date and not sin. And we're trying to get all the married folks to date <laughs> their wife. But three things. Passion. The word passion is the word for mood. It's pathema. And it, it's used uh, in Greek of to experience something. It was used of the past and play, bad experience, suffering. But it had another uh, emotional, psychological meaning, and it's found in leading lexicons. It says it refers to the moods of our flesh. Moods, what's that? Experiences, states of mind, our emotional life. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah? What does that mean? I, I, I'm you don't want to talk to me. I, I'm irritable. Uh, I'm ready to engage in conflict. I, I'm, in an, I'm irritable. Leave me alone. I'm in a bad mood. Well, can you do anything for it? Oh, it's just out of control. I need to go do some charging. That always gets me out of a bad mood. Well, when I get the bill, honey, and you're my wife, I'm going to really be in a bad mood. <laughs> See, the moods. And we talk about mood music or uh, moods. Uh, I'm in a cranky mood. I'm in a romantic mood. So moods are a real part of life, our emotional life. But then there's a second thing that happens. Moods trigger strong desires. And when you talk about I'm in the mood for love, well, you obviously didn't take her to McDonald's. That won't put you in the mood. You have to spend a little bit more cash. We go to certain places for, what, what about this? Hey, the happy hour. Come and stay with us for an hour and drive home drunk. But you'll be happy while you're there. And we'll visit you in jail. It's happy hour. Give us your money and we'll make you happy. That'd be four bucks. It triggers strong desires. And that's what's scary about our moods. Watch out. If you don't watch a cranky mood, a sensuous mood, or whatever kind of mood, then you're ready to pounce on a strong desire. And then that strong desire, it can be there, and you're wrestling with it. Then you make a choice. I'm going to do a deed to fulfill the desire because I'm acting out of negative moods. Uh, you're, you're, you hear this all the time. This is what party time's all about. Hey, this weekend we're going to party. Why? 
We want to get it. We're in the mood, honey, to forget our problems, our bills, our kids. Let's just party, bring the coat, bring the booze, and let's party all weekend. Let the good times roll. That's what the party scene's about. I want to blow my mind because I'm trying to get above life. I want to get drunk. I want to get wasted. Bring Jimi Hendrix and bring Stevie Ray Vaughan, and let's see if we can blow our mind. Because Jimmy was out on something when he recorded it. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, since our culture knows nothing about defining moral ethics and where the boundaries are, he lists a list of sins, 15. Three sexual, two religious, and ten relational sins. Let's go. Let's look at it. We have to move because we want to take communion and did I take the offering? We did it. How dare you guys let me forget that? <laughs> well, I want to tell you, you got to give double now. You've been giving. We paid an extra quarter of a million dollars on our principal because of your giving. <laughs> Let's look at these sins, deeds of the flesh. And this is not the full list. He's giving you a sample. Three sexual sins, immorality, impurity, sensuality. Immorality uh, is sex in any way with anyone outside the boundaries of marriage. Now, he was always addressing early Christians about sexual matters because they were uh, pagan Gentiles. They didn't grow up under the law. And, and in uh, Greek philosophy, the body... Uh, was uh, usually uh, either seen as evil or neutral, and what you did with the body didn't matter. Sex to the Greeks was like drinking water. There were no boundaries. Uh, many times you'd have many concubines. They assumed if you were a man of money, you always had an extra woman on the side. You had a mistress. Uh, there were just no boundaries. Women could uh, hardly get a divorce, only the men. And so, uh, sex was like America. Just have a glass of water. It didn't care. Have sex. It doesn't matter if you get pregnant, you get an abortion. Uh, we've come full circle in 2,000 years. We're right back because we're thrown off Judeo-Christian ethics. We're back to the Greek world that there are no boundaries. And, and uh, this is what he's dealing with in all these churches. They're sleeping with whoever. They're sleeping at the temple. Uh, Sex does not matter. It's a part of the body. Do whatever you want. And uh, there's no religious authority. Nobody we know of says this is wrong. He's saying, don't throw your body into sex. Don't go have sex with a prostitute at the temple of Aphrodite. God cares what you do with your body now that you're a believer. You're divine property, and he doesn't want you sleeping with anybody but your wife. That's what he's saying. And, and well, that's what say, oh, no big deal. You don't have to have define this. Oh, yes, you do. They really had to have it defined. Don't get involved with other folks. Two, impurity. And the word impurity comes from a word to soil or to make dirty. It was used of a dirty room, dirty cloth. But then it came over in uh, morality, uh, that which is dirty, vile, um, uh, just vulgar, uh, always a innuendo, usually in the sexual arena, dirty jokes, 
dirty comments. To, it, that whole, the soiling, the, the dirty mind going all the time. Sensuality, uh, the old King James called it lasciviousness. Most of us can't spell it, let alone say it. Uh, it meant uh, indecent, no attempt to hide your shame was the idea. Uh, unbridled lust, go public. I'm going to do it in public. Uh, I want to make love in the park. I want to run through the park naked. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to uh, sex text. I'm going to send my naked body to uh, all my uh, boyfriends, all my peers. It doesn't matter if everybody in the world sees me naked. What's the big deal? I'm sexting. Uh, shed the clothes, get rid of it. Go to the mall. I've seen guys at the mall, been there. You can't believe it. Clothes so low on their hips, you see a G-string. Ha! None of your business. Get over it, old man. That's just where we're going to dress. I just want to go up and poom. <laughs> let's play. Let's do a little slingshot here, honey. Poom. I'm relevant. <laughs> Get over it. When were you born? None of your business. What are you dressing like that for? It's none of your business. This is my body, but this is the mall. And I'm with a granddaughter. I'm with a grandson. Do you have to do this here? It's none of your business. Oh, man. I want to get fleshly. Well, moving right along. Two religious sins, idolatry, sorcery. And the idolatry of the day were temples, for sure. They were everywhere. Um, but uh, the idea was translated in the realm of uh, our inner thought life. Uh, you just got to look at it. Turn to Colossians. Collisions 3.5. You there? Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I'm still thinking about that G-string. It's got me up my mind. Uh, uh, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, and that means unavailable, to immorality, impurity, see our same words, passion, that's our word pathema, uh, moods, strong desires, and greed. And greed here is the word uh, covet. Which is idolatry. So it moves it from just being an image that you bow before to an inner attitude. I want it so bad, I'll do anything to get it. And thus it becomes your God. If that same desire was transferred to the true and living God, it would be wonderful. I want you, I want to worship you, I want to serve you, I can't get enough of you, you, you get all of me, but then you transfer it to something else. I want you, a person, possessions, power, whatever, I want it, I, I got to have it, I, 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 I'm panting for it. He said, that's your God. You're an idolater. You give all your passion, thoughts, and ambition to a filthy substance called money, and you don't give any of that energy to your God. 
If you're loving anything more than you're loving God, that's your God. Your job, I think of our youth, peer pressure. Oh, I want to be accepted by the crowd, accepted by the crowd, accepted by the crowd. Do you want to be pleasing to God? And when you get in that frame of mind, you learn an old song that an old man, that you better not call me that or I'll just smack you. Uh, learn when I was a kid, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world. Hey, peers, it doesn't matter what you say. I'll take Jesus over you any day. Yeah. Richmond High is having their 50th class reunion. And I'm in it, you know. Am I going? I have no inclination unless I get to preach to them all. All those peers I broke from at high school that were screwing the girls, getting drunk every weekend, and going to Vietnam and all that. I, 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 I was alone through at Richmond High because I read my Bible, living for God, quit dating girls, and so lonely, you know, so hard to break. Man, I start seeing these pictures when they invite I said, is this my class? What done happened to that face? <laughs> Where some of them Vietnam were killed. Some of them died of this. Yeah, it's okay, they're people. But I didn't have a great, great desire because I was the least known guy on campus because I'm in church every night. I'm hanging out with this guy called Jesus. I just wanted to know him. I didn't care if I ran with the popular crowd. I wanted to be popular with God. Idolatry. Who gets the most of you? That's your God. Money, your time, your body. What is your body? What's it invested in? You? He goes on to relational sins. I'll have to move here. The first one is enmities. Enmities just simply means hate. Uh, people hate. We hate each other. Uh, do you think there's any hate in our area? Can you get killed in South Richmond? For what? Everything. Uh, maybe a little bit of crack, a little bit of meth. Uh, but you might be just standing in the wrong place because we got five-year-olds getting killed. Why would you do kill a five-year-old? Well, the boy packing the gun a lot of times, his dad, he doesn't know who he is, kept his mom pregnant and beat her up a lot, and he's out of the picture. So he sure hates the man that abandoned the family. He maybe hate this, maybe hate his mom who got struck out on drugs because she's trying to get over this guy that's the father that beat her up all the time, so she went to booze and drugs. Hey, I'm talking about a culture. If it bothers you, I'm sorry. This is where we live. And so there's a lot of hate. And a 14-year-old boy with a gun can kill you and not think a thing about it. Why? He's full of hate. Anybody being killed in the world? I just saw in Nairobi, we're at the uh, mall. They killed, what, 39? Guys were in Al-Qaeda. Just killed a bunch of shoppers there in Nairobi. Uh, someone, uh, just some suicide bombers killed 19 in Iran. And another, it was a Shiite meeting. They killed them. 
Anybody being killed in Afghanistan? Anybody being killed in Syria? Oh, let's talk about the Stalin. I believe he killed 50 million Russians, his own people after World War II. The reward of fighting the Germans and winning, I'll kill 50 million of you. Have you heard of hate? Have you heard of divorce? He said the flesh, the flesh can hate another person in a moment. I hate you. And matter of fact, Jesus said, hate is equal to murder. If I could, I would eliminate you. Some of us don't do the act. Boom. But in our mind, we write them off. I'm done. That scares me that I have that potential if I don't walk in the Spirit. Because the flesh, that's what he wants you to do. That's why some people never forgive. So I'm not forgiving. Why aren't you forgiving? Because I hate them. Strife. Right out of the text. Strife means contentious temper. It's that line they said, did you wake up grumpy? And the wife said, no, I let him sleep in. Uh, it's the idea, uh, you don't need an issue. It's always debating to debate. You're contentious. Uh, we know if we have any dealings with you, it will not go easy because you're just contentious. You, you, you want to go back and forth. Then the word jealousy uh, is a tough word because of envy and jealousy overlap. But it means zealous, and it means to pursue anything uh, to do anything to get what you want, even if uh, resenting what the other person has. And envy's in the same category. Jealousy. Uh, th that's why people who have anything are careful about who they run with. Because if this guy is way up here socially, economically, not many people here can rejoice over what they have. They resent it, or, you know what, I'm just as good as you. Why don't I have what you have? And so you find people of means usually have to, they pick who they run with, and they usually have the people in that category. Because it's hard to share your victories and your blessings with everyone, because not everybody will rejoice with you. And what is it? Jealousy, envy. Uh, he goes on to say anger. Uh, we were at a counseling seminar this weekend uh, that a bunch of us went to. And the most common book they say they, anyway, that Steve Mahorder said he handed out to people, the most common book he uses in counseling is anger and stress management. Anger and, uh, and this word here for anger is the word uh, to boil. It's an explosive anger. It's an out-of-control anger. There's another Greek word for anger used in Ephesians 4.31. It's orge, and it means a settled state of anger. Some people just stay mad. They just, they're mad about life or whatever. But this anger is an explosive, destructive kind of anger. I mean, you just go off, and, and he said, it's a work of the flesh. So is the settled anger. Which comes, according to Ephesians, it comes because you're grieving the Spirit because you're refusing to deal with sin and you're refusing to forgive. You, you become a bitter person. You hold it over and you're just mad. You're just negative about life. And it's a work of the flesh. It doesn't come from the Spirit. 
The Spirit makes you positive. It gives you hope, love, and joy. Have any of you ever heard of that? It comes from the Holy Spirit, not a bonus. It comes from the Spirit. Uh, disputes, he goes on. Uh, and this word disputes uh, is from a word that means self-seeking. It was used as a day laborer to earn wages. It was used of a woman who sold her body as a prostitute. And the idea is, I will sell myself out to gain the advantage I want, economics. And this word here is, uh, I will uh, campaign and sell myself out to get what I'm campaigning for. I won't stop. And so, don't get in a dispute with them. I just saw a few nights ago, I don't know if it was 60 Minutes or whatever, did any of you see it? The Neighbors from Hell. Okay? And here you actually had a guy that makes, that's the name of his, of his corporation, whatever. He, like a lawyer, he comes in and settles disputes between neighbors to get them to get along. I mean, they got surveillance cameras on each other. It's just, and uh, once again, this hate, anger, strife, uh, I mean, going on all the time. And uh, we just dealt with a pastor recently, a small church, uh, less than 50. I said, how's the church going? He said, man, we're, we're having tough times. I said, what is it? What is it? He said, well, there's two other men in the church that think they ought to be elders, and they're biblically not qualified. Their lives don't match up. And so now we're in a three-way power struggle. I said, how many are you running? About 25, 30. You're already in a power struggle with less than 25 people. I said, what about a prayer meeting? What about a booming Bible study? How about uh, we're learning the Word? No, no, no. We got three studs wondering who's going to be in charge. They need a lightning meeting where two of them die. <laughs> and God makes it obvious who he wants to lead. None of you have been in churches that strive with each other. Are you kidding? We've had our seasons of it. Just the rumor mill, undercurrent. The flesh will destroy this church or any other church. If the flesh gets in control of you and you get your way, it's why if you come to this church, we don't plan to let you run it. We're asking godly elders to help lead it, and you're glad you're going to attend all you want, but you can't run it, and we will stand up against you. The unity of the faith and the gospel demands that godly men protect the flock from those that want to fight all the time. You ought to say, amen, you better. If you were in a fighting church, you know I'm telling you, I'm saying something to save your neck. And most of you don't have a clue because you've been protected by godly men under the lordship of Christ. But we are as vulnerable. If we become a flesh-centered church, it's going to be a debate, a fight, a confusion. Say, where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's this contagious love, joy, peace? I don't have it. I'm over here carrying out the despicable nature of sin within. Are all believers spirit-filled? Are you kidding? Why do I have to ask you? Dissensions. The word dissensions means to cut in two. And where God's told us to keep the unity of the faith, 
The flesh always wants to cut people off. Cut it up. Break it up. Uh, the maverick spirit uh, always can never do anything as a team, can never build unity, because they're always outside criticizing, or they got a better way. They're mavericks. They always cut off. They're, they're above the whole. Never can you build a wholesome team, because they've got an incorrigible spirit. It, they're probably unsaved if they stay that way long, or they need God's gentle rebuke, repent. This is the wrong spirit. This doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. Well, he goes on to talk about envying, longing with resentment over what others have. Longing with resentment. Drunkenness, uh, fairly explanatory, coming under the control and influence of strong drink. It's amazing how many young people become drunks before they're out of college. It's a fact. We think alcohol's gone by the way of drugs. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, most college scenes that I've heard of say the first two to three years is only the party scene. And uh, hopefully you may get sober by your junior, senior year, and you might pass. First two years is stay drunk and sleep with as many girls as you can. And we wonder why we tremble when we send kids off to secular schools. That's the campus environment. Wake up, smell the coffee. That's what's going on. That's why if I had uh, $100 million, I would put up money for every kid in our church that wanted to go to a Christian college because I want to protect them. Uh, then he says the word carousing. Uh, carousing was partying at nighttime, nighttime partying. See, it's nice as you get older. There's not enough energy to party at night. So this is for you young people. You know, don't you love nighttime partying makes it better? I throw a party about eight. I go to bed. <laughs> See, I'm not dangerous. No, no danger. But, man, if you add darkness, you add, you know, environment, hey, let's carouse tonight. And the, basically, booze, drugs, whatever. It's just not, it was used of uh, parading through the street at nighttime. And a lot of times, heckling, rivalry, all that stuff. And said, uh, carousing, just par the party spirit. Let's go party all weekend. Let's raise hell. Okay. Uh, how long have you been a Christian? Ah, about three weeks, but let's raise hell anyway. See, my speech doesn't bother young people. They hear worse every day, right? So you better say yes, young people. But I tell you, I'm not raising hell. I'm trying to raise heaven. Amen. You run with Jews for the Jesus, and we say, we go out, and they have a deal. Uh, it's go to heaven. They got a little track. Go to heaven. That's what we're about. Now, I ask you, what work of the flesh keeps stumbling you? Now, if, if this list isn't enough for you, go to Romans 1. He has 31 things there. If that's not good, good enough, go to Romans 3. He's got another list of 14 things. Our dirty mouth, our bloody feet. It goes on. The sin nature, how do we deal with it? He's told us in the Word, we must put it to death. And when I'm tempted to sin, this is what I do. Who owns my body? That's the first thing. And according to Romans, I'm joined to Christ, 
My body is at his disposal. Now, if you're not at God's disposal, you're easy to pick off because you're just hanging out, waiting for something to bait you. But when you're already giving yourself to God, it's one of the greatest fortifications against sin. Some of you are just prime targets for the devil to pick up. You don't serve, you don't pray, you don't have devotions, you don't. Guess what? The next thing we're going to hear of what sin you're doing. Can't, because you got to do something with the same body. What are you doing? Where are you serving? Show up. Your life's not your own, is it? Some of you, even you don't. You're terrible models. You don't do anything in this church but endure the sermons. You think that's your spiritual service. What's God doing with your body? What's he doing through you? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, uh. cranky, when are you going to repent? See, you don't have to go out and commit adultery to be after the flesh. Just these relational sins. Cranky, dissensions, strife. Duh, duh. Do you ever bring peace? Do you ever say anything good about the church? When I went to churches, I never would get with the crowd that ran down the pastor. And I always sat within the first four rows because I didn't want to know what the last row was talking about. Sorry, Bev and Don. But I wanted to be up front where I could hear the word, where I could pray, and I don't want to be. And kids, I love it. You sat in the front. Get in the front all you want. You just get in the front. <laughs> 